This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. It was just another Sabbath. And so the faithful of Capernaum made their Saturday stroll to the synagogue, but not more than a thousand paces of walking, mind you. They were careful not to burden themselves with unnecessary external baggage, and in fact, so careful that they wouldn't even carry more than the weight of a few pressed figs in their hand. Otherwise, that would be work, so said the rabbi. It was just another Sabbath day. If a bug landed on their robe, they could brush it, but not crush it, lest they break sacred Sabbath law. It was just another Sabbath. It was just another day of rest, until capital R, rest, from God, arrived. It was just another Sabbath, until Jesus showed up. And you heard how that turned out, didn't you? Jaws dropped at his teaching. Demons came out of people screaming, and news of his fame went far-reaching. Into that very structured synagogue Sabbath service of scripture and prayer and blessing walked God himself to bring the rule and reign of God even to those people, even to that place, and everyone was amazed. Are you waiting for something like that to bust you out of the routine of what goes on here on a Sunday morning? You might know this about the liturgy, the, the order of service that we use. In the blue book, they're entitled The Service, Setting One, and Setting Two, and so on and so forth. And those orders of service are built from the same basic framework that was used to build what we had in the 1993 hymnal and even the 1941 hymnal before that. They were both on page 15. Do you remember? The common service. And could there be anything worse in our modern day than to be common in a world that wants to innovate and recreate? It seems that we, by doing the same thing over and over again, have set ourselves up for failure. How will we ever be 
real and relevant and relational enough to attract the newcomer while still being insightful and clarifying and edifying enough for the long-timer when everything we do seems so repetitive. You've been to church a few times. You know what's coming. You could probably go through it in your sleep if you really wanted to. Invocation, confession and absolution, Kyrie, glory to God in the highest, the Lord be with you. And also with you, prayer of the day, first reading, psalm, second reading, alleluia, stand for the gospel, sit for the sermon, stand for the creed, sit for the prayer, and on and on it goes. It all seems so repetitive. That's because we're inclined to look only at the surface. And we fail to see what's really going on here. In other words, it's just another church service until Jesus shows up. Ah, I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to Capernaum. Jesus and his freshly minted four disciples head to the town that would become their home base for a while, the little village of Capernaum. And those former fishermen, now turned people catchers, we're going to get a glimpse of what this following after Jesus bit was all about. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Jesus didn't need to quote his teachers of old or cite his sources because Jesus himself is the teacher and the source of it all. It's marvelous. Jesus speaks the truth of God as the truth of God himself. Jesus preaches the word of God as the word of God made flesh. It is amazing. You can almost imagine Jesus that day expounding on a portion of Scripture and kind of putting his toes right on the line of saying, look, people, let me tell you what I meant when I wrote that 700 years ago. It's wonderful. He taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Mark's gospel does not include for us a word-for-word transcript of what Jesus said that day. But it's all right, because we got to hear it last Sunday. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God has come near. The ruling and reigning activity of Almighty God is at hand, and in fact, is here. And what's more, it is all wrapped up, embodied, and standing right in front of you in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Turns out the kingdom of God isn't something that the gospel points to, it's something that the gospel gives. So what was it that made Jesus' teaching so amazing? Well, he wasn't quibbling about the law, arguing about how many steps you could take on a Saturday or how much weight you could carry until it constituted work. He wasn't quibbling about the law, but instead got busy proclaiming the good news of the rule and reign of God that had come near in him. What he said had power. He was serious about it. It's almost as if his teaching had hands and feet of its own and it could walk up to the people who were listening and shake them awake to the new reality that was dawning right before their eyes. God is up to something here, people, and his name is Jesus. The amazement of the congregation notwithstanding, not everybody was so excited about a new age dawning. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit 
cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now isn't that something? The demons know who Jesus is. The crowds of people surrounding Jesus, well, they're not so sure. But the legions of hell know that this one has come to undo their master's work. Have you come to destroy us? Yes, as a matter of fact, I have. Just a few verses before this in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was baptized by John. You remember that one? The heavens torn open, the voice from above, the Spirit descending like a dove. Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, now goes out into his public ministry and is immediately confronted by anti-God, anti-Christ forces. You poke the devil in the eye and he's going to poke back. And there was no bigger poke in the devil's eye than Jesus, the Son of God, born in the flesh from the Virgin Mary. Confrontation was inevitable. So what happens when Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the old evil foe? Satan is silenced. The devil's work is undone. The prisoners are set free. And the good news is preached to the poor. Now there's no more future possibility and promise of what Messiah is going to do. You know, someday the blind will see and the lame will leap and the dead will live again. Oh, no. It's now. It's happening. It's here. As Jesus' words do what they say. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. With Jesus' words and actions don't come apart, as is so often the case with us. Instead, when Jesus speaks, things happen. Life breaks loose. Chains are unbound. Prison doors are flung wide, and those who were held captive in slavery to sin and death, and yes, even the devil, are set free. You'll notice carefully that the the demon didn't start crying out until Jesus started talking that Sabbath day. Which might lead us to conclude that the devil was more or less okay with what passed for worship in the synagogue. Laws, legalism, burdens that no one could carry, you know, the kind of stuff that would force people into one of two damnable ditches. Either the false, pious pride of the Pharisees or the abject despair of the hopeless sinners. They were all so busy straining at gnats and swallowing camels that they completely missed the Christ at the center of their scriptures. Until the Christ himself came and brought his powerful word and everyone was amazed. Speaking of two damnable ditches, you know they're still around, don't you? Those people in the synagogue at Capernaum were amazed. Literally, the word is struck out of their senses. This was a complete control, alt, delete, hard reset. What did this guy just say? And here you and I are today. We've kind of heard it all before, haven't we? 
You've been to church a few times. You know what's coming next. Do you ever find that you don't so much stand in awe of your Savior simply because you've, you've heard it all before? And frankly, you're, you're kind of sort of ready to move on to something a little more advanced? Does the promise of the forgiveness of your sins ring just a little bit hollow because you reason, well, you never say this out loud, but you reason that, well, you know, maybe you don't have all that many sins to forgive. Certainly not as some other people I could mention. Or maybe we don't stand in awe of our Savior simply because we're too busy standing in awe of all the wrong things. You don't like that person's style. You think the folks down the road have a, a bit more impressive programming. It is scary how, how quickly it happens, striving after even apparently pious goals, just how quickly I'll swap out my spirit-given awe of a God who speaks to me in Christ, and I'll trade it for a self-defined, personally constructed idea of what the church is and should be based entirely on my preference and not on the God who speaks. And of course, there's the ditch on the other side, the ditch of confusing the authority of Jesus with the noise of the devil. Did you notice that in this, in this gospel reading, those two loudest voices? Jesus has authority. The devil just makes noise, which is no substitute for having authority, but frequently people confuse the two. And sometimes, oftentimes, we are more inclined to listen to the noise of the devil simply because he's so accurate when he accuses. Crowding out any possibility of a pious thought, the devil spews his noisy lies into your ear, convincing you that, you know, you really are all alone, that your lot actually is hopeless just like you feared, and your eternal destruction, well, that's coming. If there's anything that this gospel from Mark chapter 1 shows us, it's, it's not just that Jesus has authority, but that Jesus is authority. And he aims it in the direction of others, giving the wisdom and promise of God with his teaching, lifting the burden of sin with his preaching, sending the devil packing, and Jesus himself setting up shop in that person's new heart. Jesus doesn't just have authority, Jesus is authority. And to prove it, when the devil is intent on making noise, Jesus silences him. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet. Because Jesus doesn't need the honest testimony of dishonest demons. And so Jesus shuts that demon's mouth just as surely as he will shut the devil's mouth on the last day when he will try to accuse you because the devil just makes noise. He doesn't get to talk because Jesus is the authority. His is the final word. The devil just makes noise. But Jesus makes a promise. What is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. 
When you get home today, open your Bible to Mark, the Gospel, and look at the first couple, three chapters of Mark's Gospel. You will see it is so action-packed. There's teaching and preaching and healing and calling and driving out demons and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's almost as if the Gospel writer Mark has put Jesus into a cannon and shot him out. So eager and urgent is he to get Jesus going in just one direction. And that one direction is not regional fame or national adulation. Yes, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And you better believe it would be easy, just as it would be tempting for the Lord Jesus to walk on that pleasant path of popularity. But he didn't. Instead, he opted for the lonely way of the cross where those crowds of people who had once sang his praises dismantled into an angry mob clamoring for his death. The broad acceptance that Jesus enjoyed early in his ministry to the amazement of everyone found its ultimate conclusion as he died alone, forsaken by God so that you never would be. The one who is authority the one who has all the power, the power to call down 12 legions of angels to come to his aid, the one with the power who could have come down from the cross to squash those mockers, had a greater power still. The power not to. And this he does for you. And now alive again forever, Jesus brings the rule and reign of God to its ultimate fulfillment, and he is intent to deliver that to you. Epiphany and the epiphany season of the church year are not just about looking in the past at those times when Jesus pulled back the curtain and revealed himself as the Son of God and Savior of the world. Epiphany is a present tense, happening right now, every day, exploration of how Jesus is still the one who speaks with authority and works with power for you. So here you are on a Sunday morning at this place and at this time and for this purpose. So what's this all about? You've been baptized. You have been gospeled. You have been epiphanied to see what's really going on here. Your eyes have been fixed by the cross and the empty tomb. So what's this all about? You don't just need information. The demons had that. You don't need advice. The teachers of the law dealt that one in spades. What you need is a promise. And even more, one who keeps his promise every single time. So here comes Jesus, the unburdener of every burdened conscience, the untroubler of every troubled heart, because he is the unsinner of every one of your sins. Look again and see how Jesus is so intent to deliver his gifts to you. He's there, swimming in the water of your baptism, just like he promised. Approach this altar with reverent awe because Jesus himself is going to come sit on this altar to give himself to you. 
I hope you were listening a few minutes ago, but if you weren't, another one's not going to hurt you. To listen to the blood-heavy breath of a word from Jesus as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins. Your time here is not a common, familiar, predictable, repetitious waste of time. But your presence here is met by Christ's presence here and here. They say that familiarity breeds contempt. Or maybe it creates depth. Think again about why we do what we do here, and you'll realize pretty quickly it's not we who are doing the doing. It's Jesus. From the three-year-old in the back who joins in singing the Kyrie, to the five-year-old somewhere in the mix who confesses the faith that the Spirit planted in their heart using words that have been passed down for almost 2,000 years in the creed. From the babbling toddler in the back to the person whose mind has been robbed to the point that they might not even know their own name. And everyone in between, between speaking the words of the Our Father, the prayer himself Jesus has given his church to pray. Stand in awe of your Savior and his authority and even more at what he chooses to do with it. To send the devil out. To lay down his authority on the cross, only to take it up again in glory. To forgive your sins. To make you a child of his Father. To work all things. Yes, that is his promise. As crazy as it sounds, to work all things to accomplish his ultimate purpose for you to see you standing next to him forever. Stand in awe of your Savior because he speaks with authority. He works with power. And he does it for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and to keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.